2: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host.
3: Adiola Depot here. Thank you so much for downloading Fight Night Extra. Remember, we're here every single Tuesday live on Talksport to myself and the great Gareth A. Davis. If you can't join us live, remember to subscribe to the Fight Night podcast channel. So much other great content there as well, just as Fight Night, Fight of My Life and even the Mike Tyson story, the boy from Brownsville. This is Fight Night Extra on TalkSport 2. If you love it boxing and you love your MMA, then this is obviously the show for you. Fight it extra where myself, Eddie Lodipo, and Gareth A. Davis. We're going to discuss all the latest from the world of combat sports today. We're going to be reflecting on a massive shock in Las Vegas It's the biggest star in boxing And a man considered to be the pound-for-pound king, Sal Canelo Alvarez, was dethroned by Dimitri Bivol. We'll discuss where it went wrong for the Mexican. And if he bit off more than he could chew by moving up to light heavyweight, there has been talk of a rematch between the pair. We'll assess if Canelo should take it. And if Bivol really should move down to super middleweight and challenge for the undisputed titles there as well. A huge exclusive from Gareth over the weekend. Uh, Kelbrick has announced he will be retiring from boxing. His last appearance in the ring We'll see his dismantling of Ame Kar. Remember, that was live on Talk Sport. We're going to reflect on East career. And if now, it is the right time to call it a day with potential fights against Chris Ubeck Jr. and Conor Ben still on the table. Plus, we'll talk about a thrilling night in the UFC as Michael Chandler delivered a knockout for the ages. And Charles Oliveira proved he is the best lightweight in the world by some distance, despite losing his title on the skills. Look, don't go anywhere. This is Final Extra on TalkSport Sport 2.
1: I don't know anything about Tony other than that was the most vicious knockout I've ever seen. It's been my life. This day's finally come, you know, where you know I've got to retire from boxing. You know, I believe that there's nothing else to gain from boxing. I've spoken to my family. And to to leave the sport on such an high fight what I've wanted for all them years and it's, it's hard but it's, there's nothing else for me to do.
4: Good evening, guys. A very good evening to you, Eddie. Um, what a three weeks it's been, eh?
3: Crazy. An absolutely crazy three weeks. Um, what's your highlight of all the three weeks? Is it still Serrano-Taylor? Is that is that the one still?
4: Oh, it's very hard to call because that atmosphere at Wembley Stadium for Tyson Fury, even though it was a one-sided beating, really, for Dillian White in the stoppage. Mm. Um, you know, for pure atmosphere, thrills and spills in the fight, you've got to go... Taylor Serrano. And now for drama. You've yeah. got to go the last weekend. So it's a tic-tac-toe for me. One arm bandit, Jackpot.
3: <laughs> I like it. I like it. It's funny you say Jackpot, obviously, because obviously the slot machines were in full force in Vegas as well. Um, a surprise, how much of a surprise? I mean, we've had some big upsets in the last 18 months in boxing. I don't consider it a huge upset, um, just because I thought Dimitri Bival was a very good light heavyweight champion. But it is still an upset. Let's not pretend it isn't. How big of an upset, though, Gareth?
4: Well, when you add it all up, um, there's an old adage in boxing, which there's weight divisions for a reason. And when Mm. you look at Canelo starting off at welterweight, really, world champion at light middleweight, that's 154 pounds all the way up to 175 pounds. Um, You know, he's naturally now as big as he can be. Yeah. Um, When you think Bivol was probably 10 pounds heavier on the night as well. Looked a much bigger man. Very sturdy. Canelo couldn't put a dent in him. And also at the weekend, on Saturday night before the fight, had Craig Richards on live, you know, on fight night. Oh. And Craig was analysing the fight and he said, it's so difficult to get through Bivol's guard. Remember, the spider is a big, long, tall, six foot one man. Um, and he couldn't get through Bivol. And he, I was there that night in Manchester, obviously on the undercard of Natasha Jonas and Katie Taylor and um, I think it was Joseph Parker and Derek Chisora too. Yeah. Um, And and Bivol just fought within himself and Craig is a formidable physical presence and he really broke down beautifully um, how it's really hard to get past Bivol's jab when he just wants to use a high guard and use that jab. Um, So in some ways, it wasn't a surprise, but in some ways... It was a surprise. I've said all along since the fight, size, simplicity, strategy, and strength won that for Bivol. And what he made Canelo do to keep the alliteration with the S's or the sibilance with the S's going is he made him look sluggish because he never allowed Canelo into the fight. It looked like a sluggish Canelo. It wasn't, in fact. It Mm. was a Bivol who was controlling the tempo of the fight. Whenever Canelo wanted to burst with some punches or go to the body, Bivol would snap him with a jab and move back. And I think his jab was very strong. And also the output of punches from Bivol, who's not a volume puncher, completely dominated Canelo. Maybe it was an off night. It's only a second loss in 61 fights, course, or wow. you can say three. You can say three if you think he lost to Golovkin the first time. But Knowing Canelo, he'll want to come back and try and right the wrong. But it was not vintage. Um, it, it was what wasn't vintage Canelo. It was a subdued Canelo by the man from Kyrgyzstan and Korea, Korean parents um, of Russian residency, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, um, who actually made the night his own. And his name will forever be associated with this, this modern great Canelo.
3: Yeah. I think the surprise for me was just to see Canelo lose, I guess. <laughs> um, you know, he hasn't lost since 2013 when he lost to, to Floyd and you could, and you rightly mentioned it there, you could add in the GGG fight as well, which I thought he lost, but, you know, yeah. officially he's only lost one fight in his career. So I think that's probably the biggest surprise for me to see him lose Yeah, and I, to I, lose quite I, comfortably.
4: Yeah, I can say actually that also talking to Craig and, and I agreed with him on the show when he was on, we both said, I think, Canelo probably wins by controversial decision, with most of us saying that we thought Bivol uh, won the fight. And Mm. you have to applaud Tim Cheatham, Steve Weisfeld, Dave Moretti for getting it right. And Look, I cannot remember the last time I saw three identical cards, identical judging Mm. cards. First four rounds for Canelo, two of those could have been 10-10s, frankly. Yeah, you know, yeah. um, or even one. For, it was so close. I remember watching it five in the morning. I was back here, of course. I'd come back from New York. Um, I, I, definitely Bivol won seven of the last eight. There's no Brief. question about that. And I think he could have won one of those early ones. There were a couple of 10-10s there where they were really feeling each other out in a kind of phony war early on. But Tim Weisfeld, Dave Moretti and Tim Cheatham, as I say, absolutely identical. So it, it was a kind of victory for boxing in another sense, wasn't it?
3: How um, much pressure were they on to make sure that they got it to the, gave it to the right bank? Because we know Canelo's the king of Vegas. He's the pound for pound superstar. He's the biggest draw in boxing. They must've been under immense pressure to make sure that, that was correct.
4: Yeah, that was my lead story um, mm. in the preview was that, you know, all eyes on two men in the ring, but all, all the other eyes on the three men sitting around it. Because, you know, um, this was definitely Canelo's toughest fight for five years since that mm. loss to since the draw with with Triple G, um, and you know I, I think in a sense it was a victory for boxing. I thought he took his defeat very well. By the way, he did.
3: He did. Um,
4: and he's I, went, a man. I, I he's, actually he's a went to man. his um,
3: after party. I went to his dinner. Yeah. Yeah. And um, still very relaxed. But you see him in the corner, and everyone's talking to him, and you can see that his mind is a million miles away. Yeah. yeah he's Bruce already but... on revenge mode already. Mm. I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be shocked if he's already pounding the pavement, making sure that he wrongs the right, or sorry, he writes the wrong apologies. And look, we're going to talk more about Kelo Bivo and, and what next. You mentioned um, Russia there. It's very interesting in terms of whether or not he can go down to 168 and fight for all the belts. We'll talk about that. Uh, you got an exclusive with Kel Brook uh, last week. Kel Brook retiring. He called you up and said, look, Gareth, I want to talk to you first. Um, what was his mood like in announcing this retirement, Gareth?
4: We'd spoken a couple of days earlier mm. and, and he said, look, I'm not in a hurry to do the piece, but I want you to write it. I want you to announce it for me. You know? Um, so I said, look, I'll do it on the Telegraph. I'll do it in talk sport. I'll break it together on the same day. So we broke it on the last Saturday, obviously. Um, what was his mood like? It was funny, you know, cause we spoke a couple of times and then when we put the zoom on the zoom recording on and the audio, when he actually said it out loud the first time, there was, it, it, his chest didn't heave, but he looked away for a moment, and oh. it, 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 it was it was the verbalizing that moment. He's had the conversations with Julie and Terry, his mom and dad, and he's had the conversations with his family, his, his immediate family, and I think he'd accepted it and wanted it, and but to actually come out with it to someone he mm. knew was going to report it and put it out there, um, yeah, it, it choked him up. It's, look, he's been doing, it, for 27 years, he moved into yeah. the gym in from you know from the little state near Hillsborough as a nine-year-old, a very powerful mixed race kid who'd been raised by a white mum and, and, and a and an adoptive stepdad mm. who, who had a wild side to him. Boxing gave him discipline, strength, um, lessons in life. He's no angel, Kel, and he, no, he probably won't no. still be an angel. I try to say to him, look, just try and live. Do the three percent of your time as as not uh, as not an angel, but do nine percent of the time uh, as an angel. Listen, great career. Um, it was a privilege to to follow his career and 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 cover it in detail, um, and a privilege to announce it. You know that that he he chosen me to, to write about it. It was a great honor. Yeah. You know, it's lovely when a boxer does that. For you. It's lovely when a boxer invites you to their house or whatever mm. it is. <clears throat> so. Um, I think he's made the right decision at the right time, in my view, and I'm really glad he's done it. And, you know, when the piece went out and, you know, TalkSport put it out, the comments for Cal have been outstanding, and I'm so pleased. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I'd like to talk to you. We debated it on Saturday night. Who has the better resume now, Amir Khan or Cal Brook? Amir. It deserves some discussion. Yeah,
3: see, I paused, didn't I? I didn't go straight there because I had to think. I thought because that Sean Porter win away from home against a very live Sean Porter deserves a lot of respect, even to push Errol the way he pushed Errol. So even these defeats have been good defeats. I mean, he fought peak, peak GGG, not the GGG coming up or the GGG on the way down, literally the best version of GGG and gave him, gave him hell for a couple of rounds, but Oh, we might have a debate on this one. It's a good one. It really is a good one. Did you think um, that Kel was going to retire? Prior to you getting the call from Kel, did you think it was going to be one more?
4: No, I thought he'd take a fight with Chris Eubank Jr. on Sky and get a million quid for it or whatever, and just say, oh, I'll go in there and do one more. But I'm really pleased he hasn't done that. Look, he could have gone in there. Kel knows. I, I well, Kel doesn't know he would have believed he'd have beaten both Conor Ben and Kel and, and, and Chris Eubank Jr. But um, there's a part of him, as he said in the interview, my heart's not in it anymore. And once mm. a boxer says their heart's not in it anymore, I'm so pleased when they walk away because I hate nothing more. I say hate is a very strong word. I, I dislike it when a boxer has been told by all around him that he can still have one more, he can fight for that world title one more time. And he goes in against someone and he's there's nothing there for three rounds. They yeah. like just take a beating.
1: Yeah. And, and we're
4: all disappointed, not least them. So I just think he's chosen to do it at exactly the right time. And he's gone out on his terms. Mm-hmm. And, and it'll never get better. We were there that night. I mean, it's never going to get better than that night now. No, no. Um, no. And, and besting this guy or beating this guy, dominating Amir Khan, a guy who he's been in pursuit of. For 10 years. Let's have that debate later on in the hour about whose resume is better between Amir Khan and Kell Brook. It's very, very interesting.
3: It it is. It it is interesting. You're right. And I'm more than happy to have it with you. I I will be team Khan. You can be team Brook on this one. Yeah. Uh, UFC on the weekend as well, almost been sandwiched in between all the boxing that's going on. Uh, A couple of big title fights or what they were supposed to be, but obviously Charles Oliveira lost his title on the scales, but still Absolutely dominated Justin Gaethje. We're going to have to have a debate against about Oliveira and Khabib Nurmagomedov soon. We're really going to have to have that debate at lightweight because I think if there's anyone that can do him, it is Khabib coming back, but we'll have that debate. Um, Carlos Esparza uh, beating Rose Namajunas in what was a dull fight. And uh, Michael Chandler with the upkick, knocking out Tony Ferguson. Uh, a good UFC run as well
4: absolutely um you know great great event at the weekend obviously a highlight reel from michael chandler it's what he produces it's Mm. normally with his hands not his feet yeah um you know that kind of i don't know if i'd call it the teep kick but it was a kind of up kick Mm. front kick wasn't it a brilliant moment and he said he hadn't trained it the photographs of tony ferguson afterwards you know it just shows you the
3: the force. The,
4: the force of these things and what it does actually to the body in a moment in time. And it's worth remembering how inherently dangerous mm. the sport is. Tony Ferguson's fourth, fourth loss in a row. I know we'll go into this in more detail, but um, he looked about 120 in that photograph, didn't he? He looked 120 years old. He it, it, it looked like he's going to look when he's 90, basically, didn't he? 100%. And,
3: you know? and I'm a big Tony Ferguson fan. And look, oh, me was- too. There were, there were times when, you know, that Khabib fight would have been fantastic and it was on, off, on, off. The defeats are starting to scare me. The way in which he's losing now is starting to scare me as well. Um, look, still talks well, still seems very coherent with his words, but I'm a bit concerned for for Tony Ferguson. Uh, for Chandler, though, that when he got on the mic and started calling every, everyone out was fantastic. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do. Grab the mic and, and almost WWE promo it. And, and he almost stole the show because of that, Chandler.
4: Yeah, It's weird, you know. I mean, when I covered Michael, I knew him. You know, I've been to Hawaii with him, I've been all over America with him. You know, when he was, was fighting and was champion in Bellator, um, you know, he's a fantastic character. You know, him and his wife is a doctor, you know, they adopted an African American yeah. child, a beautiful family. They're, they're yeah. absolutely, I've met his parents, he's a, he's a wonderful man. But I think since he left Bellator for the UFC. He's used the platform to really promote himself a mm. lot more. You know, he was loved at Bellator. You know, long-standing champion, you know, such an entertainer in there. He's a mini Mike Tyson, isn't he? He really he? is,
3: isn't he? With he a bit really of
4: wrestling is. thrown in. He was an amazing wrestler at college, of course. So, um, yeah, um, an amazing moment, like you say. Did the right thing. Should fight uh, for the belt again. Um, and, you know, thoroughly deserves it. But, but also you know, calling out Conor McGregor and said, I'll go up to 170 if I have to. And that was the clever move because by saying I'll go up to 170 to fight McGregor, that's the moment where you go, yeah, that appeals to McGregor now because he's going to fight a much smaller guy at 170 and not have to lose a ton of weight. Brilliant move.
3: Brilliant move indeed. All right, you're listening to Final Extra on TalkSport 2. Still to come, we are going to be chatting a bit of Bellator with Gareth as well and reacting to that special KO we just spoke about from Michael Chander in the UFC. We'll also hear from Kell Brook after he announced he's retirement. But up next, look, only one place to start, and that's the big shock in Vegas. We're going to be talking at uh, Dimitri Bivol's uh, beating of Saul Canelo Alvarez. an extra on talk sport to Myself, Adi Oladipo, the great Gareth A. Davis. All right, big shock. Yeah, big shock. Um, Semi-big shock on the weekend. Uh, Dimitri Bivol uh, retaining these WBA light heavyweight strap against uh, Canelo Alvarez. All three scorecards, 115-113. Let's get into it, Gareth. Um, did did Bivol win the fight? Did Canelo lose it? You know, like people like to say when a favorite loses, we try to dissect and why the favorite lost, as opposed to why the underdog in so many people's eyes, and I thought the favourite going in for me, really, Bivol won. Yeah,
4: look, um, Bivol, you cannot write off his, as I say, size, strength, stamina, strategy, superior in every department, really, Mm. certainly in the boxing department. You know, high guard, strong jab. Um, Canelo, I suspect, was looking to come strong late in the fight, as he did against Sergei Kovalev, but Kovalev was a lot more washed up as a, as a light heavyweight was there for the taking cherry picked at that moment. I think by Canelo Agreed. and his promotional team. And, and um, in this fight, Canelo met a very live champion at the peak of his powers, right at the right time with a massive amateur pedigree, um, very tough man, underrated. And I think there's a danger always in, 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 in fight sports, because it does revolve around hype and promotion that there's, there's this un- un- indestructibility about Canelo that this incredible aura he's got that he can beat anyone. This ridiculous <laughs> talk of Alexander oh, God going into it. I mean, I mean, it was ridiculous at the time. I-, I keep coming back to it. There's nothing stronger here than saying there's weight divisions for a reason. It's as yeah. simple as that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you can't you can only step up so far in-, in history. You know when Thomas Hearns and people like that stepped up super middleweight and when Roy Jones Jr. stepped up and then he couldn't come back down again. It, mm-hmm. Weight divisions affect people. Um, you know, you, you know, you look back in time and it, it's never been any different. And I think with greater athletes now and stronger athletes, you can't get past them. And here, Bivol was a fortress. Yeah, And that's how he fought the fight. And in the rematch, if there is going to be one, Canelo needs a different strategy. I didn't see a plan B and a plan C and a plan D from him in this fight. I just think they thought he was going to take it late and he was going to get to him. But the truth is Bivol got stronger and stronger and Canelo ran out of ideas.
3: Yeah, look, I, I went to the post-fight press conference and Bivol barely had a mark on his face. Uh, the only marks he did have, and this is what I wanted to ask you, is it's a tactic that Canelo started to use. And I, I haven't seen any other boxer use it where he targets the arms. Um, yeah, yeah w- what is that about? He did it with Callum Smith and we saw w- what how that affected Callum. He tries to do it with Bivol and Bivol even post-fight pointed it out and said look look what you tried to do to my arm Canelo but it wasn't going to work I haven't seen that before it's a weird strategy that he's doing it almost it almost should be illegal but obviously it's not it's allowed but it's a weird one yeah but it it deadens the arm doesn't it Mm. they get dead arms it makes the
4: arms drop more it makes them heavier it makes them you you don't have the same sensations in your arms Mm. it's it no it's an old tactic um but but also um You know, he he wants Bivol to move his arms more because he wanted to get at the torso, but he couldn't. Yeah. That high guard was there the whole time. And And whenever Canelo looked like he was going to attack, he looked slow. Bivol pushed out the jab and retreated. And then when Canelo dropped his hands to rest, he came in, didn't he, through combinations. And Canelo Fantastic. doesn't mind taking punches. That's the funny thing about him. It's going to have to be a very different strategy. It's going to have to be a busier Canelo who gets started earlier. I mean, it was a very slow start to the fight. First four rounds for me were very slow. The, the, the punch output was slow. The, there was a lot of feeling out, almost too much. Mm. But I don't think you're ever going to get a toe-to-toe war with Bibble. Because he's gonna box you. Too smart.
3: He's just he's just he's just he's just, he's just far too smart. Uh, I spoke he, he to him. He reminds
4: me a little bit of an Andre Ward, you know. Very. The way Andre Ward did things,
3: you know. Very like he's a thinker. You, you're yeah. watching him. Like there was times when Canelo was on the rope said, Come in, come in. And Biv was like, No, I don't need I'm to. Gonna, I don't need to come in. I <laughs> you know, I've got longer arms, I can stay on the outside and just pepper you. Yeah. Um Eddie Renoso, I spoke to him after uh, Canelo's uh, trainer slash manager, and he said Canelo was his legs were gone after round four
4: doesn't Literally, surprise me.
3: we gone after round four. And I don't know if that's a case of putting on too much weight. Yeah. I don't know what it was, but yeah, he looked tired. Always going back to the ropes and it, it surprised me. Um, look, Let's talk about the rematch. Let's kind of park Gennady Golovkin now for September because it probably will be Bivol. If you are Canelo, Bivol said he would go down to 168. D- do you accept that? Or do you say, no, I lost at 175. I want to try and go again at 175. Well, we've got the issue um, politically of the fact the mm. WBA, of course,
4: uh, of for whom Bivol holds the 175 pound light light heavyweight belt, allow its Russian, Belarusian athletes to defend their titles at the moment. They can't yeah. carry the flag into the ring, they they can't have the anthem, but the other three, um, the other three uh, uh, sanctioning bodies, WBC, WBO, the IBF, uh, do not allow those. Guys, to to fight at the moment, certainly the yeah. WBC don't. So that's a difficult scenario. So it might not be for all the belts, um, but I don't think it matters with Canelo because it's such a big fight. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's still widely considered right at the top of the pound for pound list. He's earning fifty million US dollars a fight. <laughs> this is an even bigger. F- it's an even <laughs> bigger fight now. The yeah. rematch. Yeah. So that probably does take place uh, in Las Vegas in September. Whether they think differently and they go for Golovkin first and then they, they do Bivol afterwards is a thought as well.
3: What would what- you do if your team Canelo here, you're his management, what do you do? Do you say, OK, let Bivol fight the winner of Joe Smith-Peterbiev because that's just too much for us. And let's get Golovkin. Do, do you do that?
4: If they can fight Bivol at super middle and they can make Bivol boil down, and he's not yeah. a massive light heavy, no. it's a bit like Joshua Watsy, just carries the weight, doesn't mm. have to put on a lot or take off a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I take it at super middle weight with him. I think that's a really good plan. He needs he needs some advantages. He's just gone up to face a guy who probably in the ring wasn't 175 but was close to 185, 190, completely rehydrated. I don't know if the official morning weights were put out there at all. But I'm sure Bivol was a lot heavier than him. He oh,
3: was. much bigger. And, and yeah. let's be honest, Canelo's a 160 guy. Yeah. I mean, Canelo's undersized at 168. Yeah. He's fighting a guy Agreed. in Bivol who, you're right, 190, maybe 190 plus um, come fight night. You mentioned top of the pound for pound rankings. Is Canelo still your, your number one pound for pound?
4: Yeah, I think at the moment. I I, yeah. I think so. Yeah. And, I, and I And I think... You know, I, I think what he's got to do is go back to Super Middle. Fight fight Bivol at Super Middle. If Bivol can get down, then he's gonna to agree to it. He's a massive payday for Bivol to mm. to fight Canelo a second time. Um and also is David Benavides down there at Super Middleweight who Canelo's gotta fight. And that is a brilliant fight. That is gonna be the kind of fight that Canelo wants. Toe to toe war. Um and he's gotta do it now, because he's gonna to start to decline now. We might have seen the night that his decline began um, yeah. Saturday night. He's been very active, so um, yeah, I think that's where it, where it all sits, really. So, um, but it was a great night. We mustn't forget what 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 Bivol deserves, but we still have to applaud Canelo for wanting to challenge himself, for pushing mm. pushing the the limits, and wanting to create legacy in everything he's doing. He's still an amazing champion.
3: Yeah, I, I, I agree. Absolutely amazing. And you think of what could come. You mentioned Bivol, GGG in September. You, you mentioned Benavides. Uh, Jamal Charlo's out there as well. And you know he's going to want those. He's going to want all of them. So look, I still think pound for pound, number one for me by a gap. I know Terence Crawford's announced that he thinks he is now. Not for me. Um, I think Canelo still is because he's the undisputed champ at 168 who dared to be great and challenge an unbeaten light heavyweight champion. All right, you'll listen to Final Extra on TalkSport 2. Still to come, we are going to be getting the latest from the world of MMA. A massive night in the UFC on Saturday as well. And a big, big fight night in London for Bellator. Uh, this Friday, we're going to hear from Michael Venom Page. But up next, we're going to hear from Carl Brooke after he announced his retirement from boxing.
0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance, United Healthcare Tri Term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Life is full of awesome what-ifs,
0: and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com.
1: Doesn't need it and um, he'll assess in i think the next couple of weeks and whether he has one more or two more i don't know most fighters you know the sport retires them you know i'm retiring from the sport you know on on a serious high Just absolutely
0: brooke is the toughest opponent that Crawford has fought Correct. the
4: toughest
1: opponent.
3: <laughs> oh,
1: to the the they get fireworks, they get chocolate brownies, they're going to get drama, they're going to get wobbly legs from him. It's all going to be out there. Boxing has been settled, and it is Kelbrook who is hoisted on to the shoulders of his trainer Dominic
3: King. Oh, goosebumps! Goosebumps every time I hear that Kelbrook walkout exit song, it gives me goosebumps. You are listening to Final Extra on Tall Sport 2 myself, Adil Lodipo, the great Gareth Faye Davis, alongside me as well. Uh, Kelbrook announced his retirement on Saturday, he spoke exclusively. Uh, to Gareth Davis. Uh, this is what he said as to why he's called it quits from boxing.
1: It's been my life. This day's finally come, you know, where, you know, I've got to retire from boxing. You know, I believe that there's nothing else to gain from boxing. I've spoken to my family. And to to leave the sport on, on such an eye nice fight, what I've wanted for all them years. And, you know, it's there's, it's, it's hard, but there's, there's nothing else for me to do, you know, in gaining the sport, really.
4: You told me a couple of days ago that you know your heart's not in it, even though there's still lucrative fights out there. People have been talking about you and Connor Ben, you and Chris Hubeck. The heart's not there.
1: The, my heart's not there, you know, for it. You know, what I put into training camp, how much that... that that's all I've ever wanted on my resume. You know, the the grudge match with Khan, Won the world titles, been in them big fights. And, you know, it's... The, my art's not really in it anymore. You know, I'd be, I'd be doing it for wrong reasons.
2: Oh,
3: Kel Brook. I, I can't lie to you, Giff. Um, One of... it I was to probably give you my top five favourite British fighters, so I'm not saying best, but favourite British fighters, I'd have to have Kel in there. Um, I've loved Kel for the, the longest, And that's probably why I get so passionate talking about him. That's probably why I've said some bad things about him, just because I think he's, at, at a stage, was so good... I wanted to see those fights in America against Keith Furman, Danny Garcia. I wanted his name to be in the equation for a Pacquiao or Floyd fight. And look, for whatever reasons, it didn't happen. You mentioned earlier that maybe, you know, and he'll be honest with himself, didn't live the best of lives sometimes, but by God, he gave me some entertaining nights. And when all of the lights came on, when that walkout music, I still say to now, there isn't any better in the UK. There isn't any better, but I'm happy that he's called it quits as well.
4: Look, 43 fights, um, only three losses. And mm. those two, middleweight great, Gennady Golovkin, two weight yep. divisions above. And then um, pound for pound, welterweight stars, Errol Spence and Terence Crawford. Um, mm. And that, that, that Terence Crawford was, uh, that, that Errol Spence fight was brilliant until he smashed his orbital socket. Yeah. It was a brilliant fight. Two f- amazing practitioners. Former welterweight world champion, Mm. For me, you'll be remembered as a very, very deeply skilled practitioner in the ring, physically powerful with a clean, punching, efficient style and command of range and timing. Now, that command of range and timing think how defensively savvy he was because of that and how, how his output was so efficient. Yeah. That victory to win the IBF title in 2014 in Carson, California, was an amazing night. Made him the first British boxer, by the way. A little great stat here. The first British boxer to take a world title from an undefeated American on US soil since Lloyd Hunigan against Don- Donald Curry in wow. 1986. Wow. Even as uh, late then as 2017, the Ring magazine considered him the best welterweight in the world. Um, for me... Um, his resume is absolutely phenomenal. Um, oh, here we go. You know, but it is. Um, yeah. and, and I think what is brilliant for him is that he's gone out at the right time. So he'll always be remembered, not for the Terence Crawford loss in Vegas. Mm. Um, he'll be remembered for the bravery of stepping up against Gennady Golovkin, which was a fight too far. We talked about weight divisions for a reason yeah. T- yeah. today. Um, he will always be remembered for that amazing night when he when he dominated Amir Khan uh, for, for 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 six rounds and can walk away and he's got the bragging rights historically and in, um, in terms of his legacy now. So I think he did it exactly the right time. My argument for Kel over Amir Khan is I I think I know they were welterweight and light welterweight at their very best yeah. respectively, mm-hmm. but I think. From 2014 onwards, I would always have favoured Kel to beat Amir, Um, particularly from 2016, 2017. It's 10 years since Amir Khan was a world champion. 10 years. I think he beat Lamont Peterson. I think that was wrong on the record. Mm -hmm. I think he beat, I was there that night. I think Amir won by a round. But I just think, not in terms of, perspective as a british pakistani muslim who did amazing things for the community societally uh for gb at the olympics but um for his wealth and his resonance with several communities his following the things he's done his charity work but in pure boxing terms i think um kel is the better all-round boxer with a a greater legacy in the ring
3: oh okay okay That, that was interesting i was with you as an all-round better boxer. I think Kel's a, I I, I just think Kel is just an eight, nine out of 10 at everything. He just seems to, but as a legacy, I'd have to give it to Amir. I think Amir's got better wins on the resume than Kel. I think Amir was, where Kel dipped, unfortunately, maybe it's managerial wise, but where Kel dipped after the the Sean Porter win, Amir Khan had back-to-back really good fights, win or lose. I think the Marcus Maidana fight was just absolutely epic, where he looked like it was out on his feet, I think, in the ninth or 10th round. And that win now looks better and better because of what Marcus Maidana did. The win against Pauli, Zabjuda, Devin Alexander, Luis Collazo, solid, solid wins. Katelnik, which I think we forget about, was an absolutely ridiculous Marco Antonio win. Barrera. Barrera as well. So as a boxer, I'd always favor Kel over Amir. But in terms of putting their CVs down on paper... I would have to give it to Amir. I thought Amir at one stage was the best 140 pounder on the planet. And that's at a time when Timothy Bradley and Devin Alexander were there. I think he was that good. So I'm going to go Amir just over Kel. Yeah, it's a
4: great debate and it will go on forever. And you're right. But I think later in his career, mm. I think Amir went on for too long. Basically, Yeah, yeah he did. He, he just did. went on for too long. And he was never a welterweight, a fully fledged welterweight in, in truth. He amazing hands, but defensively, he never mastered the the the, the 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 skills of being on the ropes, which he needed to do at times, and mm-hmm. and be evasive, you know. And also, again, credit to Amir, and you know, I love the bones of the man. I mean, I really do. <laughs> I do. I've always loved Amir. I, you know, um, you know, he's an amazing person. Um, I think, you know, defensively, I'd like to have seen him improve a little bit in his career, but. Uh, in, in terms of attacking verve and heart and warrior spirits, particularly that Maidana fight where he took a battering oh for two God. and a half minutes. Yeah. How that didn't get stopped, I don't know. I was there that night. It was like it was like a butcher chopping up a piece of meat at, at times in that round. It was, think it was the 11th round, 10th or 11th round. I remember he put Maidana down with a body shot he early did. in the fight yeah. as well um, back in Vegas. Yeah, amazing. Two amazing characters. We're not su- surprised to get a call from Amir soon that he's announcing his retirement as well. <laughs>
3: um, uh, 30 seconds left on this one, Gareth. Um, did Kell underachieve? Yeah, definitely. Okay. There was a period, that period, you're right, that period mm. between
4: 15, when he had the machete attack and he came yeah. back in 15 and had it. Uh, 15 months of three-fight, Jojo Dan and... Frankie um, Gavin, I yeah, think it was. They, yeah, they, they, they oh. weren't... He, he um, should have gone on then. That that's when he should have gone on. Maybe gone up to like middleweight, you know. Maybe, so, uh, yeah. yeah,
3: yeah, maybe he should. But look, um uh, Kels retired. Fantastic career. And it's weird because as much as we say underachieve, and Gareth, that's a right, compliment. It that's is compliment. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I'm yes, happy compliment. you said that because yeah. most boxers, 99 of boxers, would never have a career that Kels had. We just thought he could have done a bit more. Yeah, uh, and I, uh, I think Gareth's probably going to get a call from Amir in the next couple of months, uh, <laughs> retiring as well. And it'll be nice, Gav, I think, for you to go on tour with both of them. I think you'll be such a good almost conductor. On that last point, hey,
4: on that last point, Kel what? said the darkness has left him towards him. He'd love to sit down, have a coffee with him and a chat. And I, and I said to him, we'll be on stage with you two. 100%! Oh, about, they'll do, they'll do tours all over. Of course they will. All over. So well. We've seen so George
3: so well. Groves and yeah. Carl Froch do it. Exactly. They'll, they'll do it as well. Ben all and right, next up, all of them, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Eubank and Ben, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and next up, we're going to switch our focus to MMA. We're going to recap UFC 274. We're going to hear from Michael Bed and Page as well, head of Bellator uh, this weekend. Interim title fight for Michael Bed and Page. Should have been the real thing. We'll discuss why that isn't. Welcome back. You're listening to Final Extra on TalkSport 2. Myself, Adi Depot, Gareth A. Davis. Like, let's switch our attention, as I said, now to MMA. Uh, we're going to start by uh, looking back at UFC 274, which happened at the weekend. You feel like sometimes when there's a big boxing, like the there was, UFC sometimes gets lost. Um, but it was a good card. Uh, let, let's talk about, you know, there's two title fights or one title fight because Oliveira obviously didn't fight for a title. Let, let's talk about the non-title fight, though. I want to talk about Michael Chandler, someone that you know very well, Gareth, from your time working with Bellator when he was there and he was one of the stars of Bellator. That upkick of Tony Ferguson. Now, we've seen a few good upkicks in the UFC. You think of Anderson Silva versus Vito Belfort. You think of Leota Machida versus uh, Randy Couture. Uh, this was another good upkick. But I almost expect it from those two guys because they're karate and kickboxing experts. I don't expect it from Michael Chandler.
4: Yeah, it's interesting. He doesn't tend to... It's, it's his big right hand and his left hooks, isn't it? And a yeah. hard jab and and his wrestling now that so always comes to the fore when you think of Michael's style, mini Mike Tyson. But, you know, what you've got to remember about the... Um, if it, when those guys are in the moment and they understand the range, mm-hmm. he, he worked out the range there. I mean, mm-hmm. it, was a, it was a terrific fight. Ferguson looked brilliant up to that point, to be honest. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a fairly even fight. And... Um, you know, like you say, I was there when when uh, Anderson Silva knocked out Vitor Belfort with the front kick, oh, and, and I was there. I was there when Lyoto Machido scissor kicked um, Randy Couture, knocked his tooth out that night. I think. <laughs> yeah. Randy was about forty five then. I think it was in Boston or somewhere. I remember being there working on TV for the UFC at that point. And um, you know, it was it was that those, those you want to go remember is a kick carries more power than a punch. Yeah. So, so because that the whole motion of the leg coming up like that it's like a the worst uppercut you could ever have with a punch <laughs> and and because because the the force of the bones in the foot on the chin are so powerful we've seen it, it it's lights out time and and that's what happened of course to Michael Chandler um, where he saw that moment and he just did it to Ferguson and the photos oh. will be there forever where Ferguson's it looked like his face and the skin on his face had been rearranged to make him a 90-year-old looking man. It was an incredible moment. Never, It's one of the great knockouts and it propels him into massive fights now.
3: Yeah, it does. You wonder, obviously, with Oliveira now being stripped of the title and we'll talk about that in a minute, there is a vacant title there and you wonder if he's going to be one of the people that are pushed in to fight for that vacant title. He called out everyone. He called out mm. Conor McGregor as well yeah. at 170, as you mentioned, which is interesting because Conor's Itching to come back and there's, I don't think it's going to be a 155 run for Connor unless it is a title fight. He might want 170. And let's be honest, Usman will, will ragdoll Connor, He's just too small. Chandler he'll look at and Connor will think, oh, Yo, you know what? I can sort of weight bully this guy a bit. So it might be the fight Connor gets when he comes back.
4: Absolutely. Uh, funnily enough, I, um, I didn't realise, but I don't, I'm not a follower of TikTok, but my interview with Connor McGregor is doing big numbers on TikTok from a few years ago when he was the interim champion. Mm. And we went back and forth, and he said, No, no, I'm the champion. I said, No, you're the interim champion. And it just made me realize that with Connor now, he's got to the point where he doesn't need a belt, no. doesn't need to fight for a belt. He's such a big figure. Him and Chandler, 170 pounds. Connor's probably 190 pounds at the moment, something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. There's no way he's going to lose 35 pounds to get back to lightweight at 155, loses 20 pounds, gets a great training camp. Everybody would be thrilled. Uh, with the fight with Chandler. They all know there's a chance Chandler's going to knock him out as well. But mm-hmm. Connor's brilliant stand-up, southpaw, evasive kung fu, karate style, um, stand-up uh, fighting style would be brilliant against Chandler. It's a brilliant matchup of styles. It's one the fans would love. Chandler's going hunting for the knockout. Million pay-per-view buys. That is the fight to do, in my view.
3: Yeah, I like it. Let's quickly talk about Tony Ferguson. Um that's another big defeat for Tony Ferguson, knockout defeat as well. Um, this is a guy that I think was one of the best, it, you know, it was between him and Khabib, one of the best lightweights in the world a few years back. Um, it, it's tough for him as well, because he did. I'm sure you've probably seen the interview where he goes in on UFC and Dana White. And if you've got to do that, you've got to back it up with a win. Once you lose and you go in like that, there's problems for you. Mm. Uh, what, what next for Ferguson.
4: Well, as you say, for for who'd have thought in 2019 when he beat Donald Cerrone that he'd lose to Gaethje, Oliveira, Benil Dariush and Michael Chandler in a, in a, in a, in a run Crazy. and never fight Khabib. And never Crazy. fight Khabib, you know? Yeah. So know? A man who he waited to fight for, for so long. Um, you know, I think what we've got to do now is just make sure that Ferguson is mentally well. You know, he's had his mm. dips, his ups and downs in recent times. And like you say, He's rattled the brass there. He scraped yeah. the brass of the UFC by the things he said. Um, so maybe he does go and do a bit of boxing now. Maybe they do release him to go and do a bit of boxing, you know. Or maybe he does go and play baseball that he was phenomenal at when he was younger. Mm. Um, but it's a, it's a time of reflection for him. And Owen four doesn't work in the UFC, unfortunately. But it wouldn't surprise me to see him popping up elsewhere. Bare knuckle fighting, Bellator, yeah. Yeah. Um, Professional Fighters League, you know, PFL.
3: Um, one there's still, there's still something there, isn't it? I mean, like oh, he's, said, marketable. Before, he's marketable, he's yeah. And before the knockout, he was doing well, yeah, yeah. There's, no, still, there's still a good fighter there that I, I agree. Yeah. I think there is a good fighter. Uh, talking about good fighters, I mean, we need to have a discussion as to where Oliveira sits in his pound for pound rankings with, with the UFC right now because I mean, he missed weight. And, and Look, Justin Gaethje, we know how good he is, he, he ragdolls him, yeah, and then submits him. I mean, honestly, if you have told me two years ago. Oliveira's run's going to be Poirier, Ferguson, Gaethje, Chandler. I would have laughed at you. I, yeah, said, exactly. no, I, said, I said, there's no way he's going through that murderer's row. No way. And he's done it.
4: Yeah, he's really improved his stand-up, hasn't he? That's the thing. He's got range now. We know he's got um, kind of anaconda-like skills on the ground yeah. with his Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and, and, and that was proven, of course, on the night. Um, but like you say, um, Kevin Lee, Tony Ferguson, Michael Chandler, Dustin Poirier, oh. uh, Justin Gaethje, over three years hasn't lost since he dyed his hair blonde. Remember, yeah. um, the blonde, <laughs> the blonde Charles, uh, Charles DuBronx, and he really is DuBronx. He's a tough guy. Listen, I remember covering him years ago, Addy, when he used to come to the prepping point for the UFC Octagon and take his glasses off to fight. He used to walk in with his glasses. He's an extraordinary talent. Um, he's come late in his career, um, pound for pound, gotta be in the top five. Uh, just on just on on current form, top five.
3: Yeah, I agree. I agree. And some people might even argue uh, a bit higher. All right, let's switch our attention to Bellator. Takes place this Friday. Main event is Michael Benham Page versus Storley. Uh, interim uh, title fight. Uh, Gareth A. Davis uh, caught up with Michael Benham and Page and, and started asking him, do you feel like you've been underappreciated in the UK?
1: Not at all. That's I think that's an easy... <sighs> kind of an easy answer I don't believe I get the recognition I deserve um but it doesn't phase me like I I've still do this for me mm. I still enjoy what I'm doing I've loved every bit of my journey there's been bits where you know I, you know you always look back on that you know I, maybe I should have done this or maybe made that choice and so on and so forth but that's just um that's just life in general um but I'm still happy with where I am do you know what I mean I'm still happy with. Uh, I, I still feel like I'm improving, even in the uh, the mixed martial arts world. Uh, my status is slowly growing. You know, 100 um, uh, it could be more, but it, it will come. It will come. I'm sure of it.
3: That's a great question, Gareth. I think um, because I think he is underappreciated. I, I really do. I think. Um, I think he's got a personality. I think his style of fighting is absolutely fantastic. I remember when he was coming through early. And it was that comparison with Anderson Silva and he was he was like him he was like him if not a bit more of a mover than Anderson Silva and I feel like we haven't really got behind um MVP as we should uh it is Logan Storley uh, this weekend or sorry Friday apologies it was supposed to be uh, Yaroslav uh, Amosov who um look we speak about all the boxers that are doing their thing in Ukraine Lomachenko and Usyk and the Klitschko brothers uh Amosov's over there as well fighting for yeah. his country um yeah. so that's where Logan Storley's come in. Um, what do you think of Logan Storley as an opponent? For yeah,
4: 13, yeah, he's a good opponent. Um, obviously he's renowned for his wrestling. Mm. He's 13 and one, he's very strong. Um, he's gonna try and shoot against Michael Venopage, page He'll probably get hit by a knee in five <laughs> one of five different ways. And you know, whenever I talk to Michael, you know how chilled out Michael is. He yeah, really is he really is uh one of the, the stars of the combat sports world. Without, like I say, that's why I went in on that story of just I penned a column for BBC Sport on it of, um, about him, actually. And, um, you know, a, a regular column I do with them. And, and, and the, 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 the key is with Michael, he, we talked about whether he... If he'd been an Olympian, for example, in freestyle kickboxing, if it had been mm-hmm. an Olympic sport, and he'd, he'd perhaps got the recognition in taekwondo or um, that Lutalo Muhammad has got, and been a, a world champion and a gold medalist... Michael wouldn't be in the position he is financially now. He's earning very well. He hasn't got widespread recognition and it's a fascinating subject because he's as it, it's as enigmatic as the fighter himself in my view, but he's a natural star of the sports firmament. He's got a unique style, endless highlight reel stoppages and command of the moment in promoting himself. And there are parallels here with Michael Chandler. Like if, if Venom Page went over to the UFC, they'd try and match him with Israel Adesanya. They'd push his push his promotional hype. Oh, it's God. and I know exactly. You start to God. think about those fights. A fight with Anderson Silva, for example. All these kind of things. Um, whereas I, you know, I think Bellator should have been pushing a fight between him and Raymond Daniels, who's one of hmm. the great stand up fighters of all time, um, and he's a poster boy here for 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 Bellator MMA in the UK. But but Michael is. Savvy enough to know. And as he told me, MMA is still a very, very new sport, especially in this country. And it's st- I'm quoting him here, and still looked at negatively in some places, like with sponsors, for example. So we have to keep striving to develop things. I think he beat Storley on Friday night. Um, and I think he considers himself the champion if he wins that. And remember, only Liam McGeary in Bellator in 2014, and Michael Bisping. 2015 and Michael Bisping in 2016 are the only two world champions we've ever had in the major uh, MMA
3: leagues in the world. Can, can you get me a ticket for Bellator this Friday, Gareth? Of course I can. Thank you very much. I'll be with see you. you there. Thank I'll see you very much. <laughs> we'll see you there indeed. Uh, Gareth, as always, my man, thank you very much. This has been Fight Extra on Talksport 2. A big thanks to Gareth A. Davis. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for downloading our Fight Night Extra. Remember, we're back every single Tuesday for more great content. And if you miss us, make sure you subscribe to Fight Night to catch up on all our other
0: episodes. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quincecom style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
4: My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone.